0: feeling of a, a, a black cloud over you just looking at life like everything's fucked life sucks and you know um we normalize that sometimes yeah. and I think that rebellion also soon turn into self destructive behavior and I was one of those students that was smoking and drinking and sort of getting into a lot of trouble almost every person I know has had some level of you know um Whether it's depression, Hmm. anxiety, it's just human nature to have, uh, to have bouts of, you know, periods of uh, low times. And if I feel like shit, I'm going to find a person who also feels like shit and we're going to make each other feel feel like like shit. shit. You You can't define it as a kid, you know, it's only the years I spent in therapy that I realized that, oh, this is what that was. Um, I think I was looking at another person to make me happy. And that's just never a recipe for success, right? That's a recipe for disaster. Um, My divorce was the big turning point in my life. Uh, What we don't do enough in India is have tough conversations within our families. Um,
1: Welcome to Voices in My Head once again. And this is a podcast where your wellness matters. Uh, We keep hearing the word wellness, but it's just a cool word for health. And I hate to define health as mental and physical health, two different aspects. But for me, it's the same thing. Wellness, health, mental health, physical health. Don't get confused by these words. Health is health. And that's why I try and bring on interesting people who have stories of their own who have uh, gone through challenges in their life and it's learning from their stories and how they got over the challenges and how they are living in the world today. You know, learning from their uh, the tips and tricks they can share with us, any hacks they can tell us or just getting inspired by what they've done or what they've experienced. I mean, at least this is the way I have learned to turn my life around. And that's why I'm so happy to have my old friend Sheena Uppal uh, with us here today. I'm quickly going you know, to uh, just tell you some things about Sheena. Uh, she went to uh, Woodstock, which we all know is the you know, famous boarding school in the Himalayas. Uh, it's rated as one of the highest uh, you know, ranked schools in the world now apparently. Maybe we can speak, yes, speak about <laughs> that. Uh, Sheena has done her fashion marketing from the London College of Fashion. She moved to Mumbai and spent some time there when there was some trouble in her life, which we'll we'll get into a little later. She then founded a, a women's fashion brand called Renge. And uh, she loves fashion. That's her passion. <laughs> she loves uh, working for street animals. And she's a fitness freak. So we want to learn from uh, her about, you know, how she keeps herself fit. And straight away, I'm going to, you know, uh, Sheena, people are going to accuse me of, uh, you know, just having... Uh, Uh, So, you know, people are going to say that uh, here's a really pretty girl (laughs) with a successful business. And why is someone like this? Why is someone like you coming on this podcast? Because your life is perfect, right?
0: You know, um, I think everything looks perfect from far away, Amir. And um, we've talked about this many times. And I think the truth is we all have had a lot of trials and tribulations in our life. And nobody's life is perfect. So when, when we spoke about this yeah. podcast, I, I was really excited to be uh, a part of it because I think it's important for us to sort of be able to, to, be, able to be open and honest about our journeys. And um, in these 35 years, I've experienced everything, ups, downs, uh, great times, bad times, and every single one of those experiences has taught me a lesson and, and has um, brought me to where I am today.
1: So uh, I want to, you know, straight away ask you the, the question about Woodstock because I've, I've been hearing about Woodstock for forever yeah. and, and always including, you know, when, I, when anybody mentioned Woodstock, the first thing that even, you know, older people like my, my parents and all, suddenly, unfortunately, the thing of drugs used to get, you know, thrown out and, and I don't know why this reputation existed or I don't know if it still exists. You went to Woodstock. Obviously, these were your your formative years. Uh, going to a boarding school at such a young age, yeah. and you know, and, and people I know who went to boarding schools. You know, love it. They, you know, there is yeah. this sense of uh, camaraderie and 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 this this close knit family which it becomes because they leave Absolutely. their own families and go to these boarding schools. Woodstock or 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 uh, Dune School is the other famous one. Uh, but what is it about Woodstock in particular? that uh why do people associate woodstock and drugs Uh,
0: so i think with woodstock um it's an international boarding school so you have people actually and students students and teachers from all over the world and um to be fair i think today that you find a lot of indian kids and um kids in woodstock from delhi but at my time 20 years ago um i think it was ahead of its time and we've spoken oh, yes, about yes. this. It was a bit of ahead of its time. Um, and the education system was different. You know, our teachers were, weren't feared. They were like our friends. And I think uh, the thing with Woodstock is, the difference between Woodstock and Indian boarding school, I think Indian boarding school sometimes can be like those typical Indian parents where so many things would go mm-hmm. on in Indian boarding schools, but it's like if we don't acknowledge it, it's mm-hmm. not happening. Um, and I think in Woodstock bad behavior had serious consequences. And I got into trouble a bunch mm-hmm. of times in school and there were some very, very serious consequences for that. Um, so I think that's the difference. I think uh, there was just a freedom of speech and thought in Woodstock, which wasn't as accepted 20 years, years ago as it is today. Right. Um, anything different, you know, when we were growing up, anything different was scary. And I think Woodstock was just an example of a very free and um, modern sort of world.
1: Because, um, I mean, I I went to St. Columbus in Delhi. You know, we have friends from all schools. You know, my wife's from another school that you know, from she went to modern. Every school has a certain group or certain individual or individuals doing drugs or, uh, you know, abusing alcohol or or smoking, you know, whatever it is. I think uh, Woodstock, you think, just gets a you know bad rep, or because of because of the the super liberal uh, style that they had back in the day, and and I you had see. a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, teachers who had come from abroad who, right. who were trying to implement the American schooling system here.
0: Well, it. You know, it essentially it was an American sort of missionary um, boarding school. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it definitely was a very different style of education than um, Indian schools. We had rules. It's not like we didn't have rules. But for example, we didn't have a uniform, you right. know, but we couldn't wear sort of tank tops or sleeveless mm-hmm. tops. So there were definitely definitely rules um, and very strict sort of co- um, consequences of rules were broken um, I just think that it was a different way of living and really I, I feel so lucky that I have the privilege of growing up in the mountains. Um, and you know, I was really thinking about this the other day, the people from all over the world, you know, students and teachers and we kind of came together on a, on a level playing field, everyone had the same opportunities. Our life was very simple. We'd go to this tiny little bazaar. Mm. The only thing that would excite us on weekends was like eating YY and Maggie. Mm. Um, so it was really like a world of its own, like its own little country, almost, you know. Um, and I really, really feel blessed for that. We. We had to walk up a mountain to get yeah. to school. I mean, it's, I it's mean, so absurd, it. you know. All,
1: all the Woodstock people say we, that that famous walk up the mountain. Yeah, come
0: what may, hills from every single one of us. No excuses. Nobody came in a fancy car. You know, uh, wow, everyone great, had right? to walk up to school, um, and just had to thug it out. And that's that taught me some of the greatest lessons in my life to to really sort of be in an environment that sometimes was uncomfortable that sometimes was out of our comfort zones and the thing with boarding school is that you sort of are living with your friends day Mm. and night Mm. which sometimes can be very difficult you know little kids can be very bitchy you know girls little (laughs) girls can be mean so can little boys and that was sometimes very difficult in school to be bullied you know by boys and girls but but really it taught Taught me at least to grow a thick skin, and I really come back to that in my life today. Like some of the best years and some of the most difficult years of my life were in Woodstock.
1: Uh, you're saying thick skin, so I mean, that totally makes sense because, as you know, typical Indian kids like myself we were so mollycoddled right. and so overprotected, sheltered. That that unless you're sent to boarding school, you'd never, you know, like I never went to a, a boarding school. Right. Uh, I, I should have been sent. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you, you learn life skills that, uh, you know, you need. Absolutely. But I've always found, and this is the feedback from the people from, you know, Woodstock, uh, who've been to Woodstock as well, is that the Woodstock ends up churning out like slightly alternate uh, personalities yeah. and, and in, a, in a good way. Not necessarily, yes. you know, I'm not saying that in a bad way, but just people who are different. And I think that's refreshing yeah. to have different people, yeah. uh, especially here uh, where we live in Delhi. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's, it's, it's the cookie cutter, you know, assembly right. line formula of right. the same kids and as you said, fancy cars. And, and, yeah. and, and you know, that's what uh, a lot of the Delhi schools have to offer. But I want to come back to what you were saying, so some of the best years, and we know why they would be the best years, but I want to get into, you know, the, the difficult times in school right. because... Uh, and I'm drawing from my own experience here that the foundations of my uh, problems, I mean, and that's also because of the age that I was at and I used to go to school then. Mm-hmm. It's just, it kind of coincided with the school going years because right. we are teenagers then. It's, you know, all the, the issues kind Teenage. of start. start mm-hmm. or, or even pre-teens. Right. That's when you start, uh, you know, uh, developing issues and that's when you, you are most of the times you're, you're 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 unable to deal with them you're, you're too young you don't have um, the resources to deal with them uh and so i just want you to maybe you know let's start with that in terms of your the difficult years in school right and
0: so you know um before i went to woodstock i was in a delhi school another great school um in Shiram. but i don't remember them as the best years of my life i mean i had some very good friends but I always kind of felt like a misfit Mm. um, since I was very young. I think there was a part of me that was rebellious from a very, very young age. Mm. And that rebellion sort of used to turn into being a little different. You know, I wasn't a girly girl. I was a total tomboy. Uh, I was loud. I was just all over the place. And I sort of kind of just grew up feeling like a misfit. And that sort of rolled into my um schooling the years that i spent mm. in woodstock i think that rebellion also soon turned into self-destructive behavior and i was one of those students that was smoking and drinking and sort of getting into a lot of trouble and uh, you know i come from a liberal family um my mom went to woodstock as well right. the last okay. couple of years of her high school she spent in woodstock uh, my dad is a little more conservative um but a very logical and rational man with strong morals and principles but i did grow up in a very loving home and my parents were sort of parenting the same style all of that but me as a personality i still had preteen angst teen angst and a lot of that came out in some you know sort of self destructive behavior and um, i wasn't one of those kids that was worrying about, you know, what will I do in college? What will Mm -hmm. I do next? It was all about today. Like I'm feeling angry today or I'm feeling happy today. Emotions were very limited. Um, And I think, you know, parts of that are inherent personalities, hormones, changing hormones, just so much going on as a teenager. And, uh, you know, sometimes people ask me like, oh, don't you miss being young Mm -hmm. and having no responsibilities? I feel like my 30s are the best years of my life because I don't miss that anxiety and that self-doubt, self-hatred, you know, feeling unworthy. And I think, I mean, almost every person I know has had some level of, you know, um, whether it's depression, anxiety, it's just human nature to have, uh, to have bouts of, you know, periods of Uh, low times and for sure it's just how we deal with it it's it's how our personalities sort of deal with it and I uh, although I had some of the best years like I said in Woodstock I also really wasn't sort of uh, taking care of myself Mm -hmm. you know I was uh, indulging in just drinking too much or smoking, getting caught. My parents were like livid, you know, I come from a Sikh family. So for my dad to find out that I was smoking was like a really oh, big
1: yeah. deal. I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. It,
0: was, it was terrible. Those phone calls were like some of the hardest phone calls in my life. Um, so I think it's, you know, sometimes I like I, I honestly, to be very honest with you, I think I did go through, and not only in Woodstock, it rolled out into my twenties as well. I went through some sort of depression. Mm. Um, I never reached a point where i needed to be medicated for it but you know that sort of feeling of a, a, a black cloud over you just looking at life like everything's fucked life sucks and you know um we normalize that sometimes yeah. and and uh, my my mom was very sort of liberal in the way that you know she was open to therapy always but i don't think i was necessarily ready at that mm. point in my life um and uh, again, like I, I I mentioned to you, like my parents were liberal. so I don't think you necessarily have to grow up in a shitty
1: environment. Yeah, I was just to gonna. Be yeah, I was just gonna come know? to that. It's so interesting that you're saying this because you know everybody thinks that you have to have had you know you come from a broken home or there's a right. divorce in the family or someone beat you up or a shitty childhood because of things that happen at home.
0: Exactly. You know,
1: it, most of the times that's not the case. You can develop. Uh, like you're saying, uh, and 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 I think that is so relevant that you know we stick to, uh, you know, we discuss a bit more about the self-destructive personality because so many of us get into this uh, mode
0: yeah.
1: of this self-destructive personality early on. Similarly, right. adolescence, or you know, a little earlier before that, and and that just stays with us our entire life. You keep doing those things to sabotage yourself. Absolutely. You keep trying. You 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 keep attracting those kind of people <laughs> yeah. into your life. Absolutely and you are essentially gonna be depressed even if you don't know it or just gonna be unhappy for the rest of your life
0: you know it's so funny or you're saying that you attract those kind of people because there was a time in high school where i was dating this guy who was a year older and he was like the nicest nicest boy and for the life of me i couldn't understand why he liked me i think i felt so (laughs) wretched i was like why is he nice to me and I actually ended up breaking up with him and then was sort of dating this other guy who treated me like shit. And I was like, like this, this feels, God, why, this feels real.
1: Why do you, <laughs> why do people date, why do women date men? It's not only women.
0: Them? It's not only women though, huh?
1: And why do men date, women? okay, why do men and women date whoever they do and especially stay, stay with and stay attracted to the people who treat them like shit?
0: because i think inherently and you know who i'm talking to here <laughs> because i think inherently we don't feel like we deserve better you know um so th- this
1: is same thing i mean I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you but it's it's that self-loathing it's absolutely, that self
0: absolutely
1: uh, it's that feeling of not being good enough and you
0: can't define it as a kid you know it's only year- the years i spent in therapy that i realized that oh this is what that was um it's not normal you know we normalize these things bad boys attracted to bad boys so
1: that ba- what happened with the bad boy you you were you dated him for a while
0: for a very short period of time but you, it was very kosher dating you know high school dating but
1: no no um, no. but you you what is it that attracted you i just i'm, I'm trying to i want to understand other than the your own um state of mind at the time that right. that makes you attract people or make, made you get attracted to this kind of a person. Yeah how could that possibly make you happy i'm just trying to understand so i'm trying to dig a little deeper
0: right but I think i mean, when you're in a phase in your life or point in your life where you're not happy yourself you're not looking out for your own happiness sure. right you're sort of mirroring what you're feeling mm-hmm. so if i feel like shit i'm gonna find a person who also feels like shit and we're gonna make each other so feel, feel like, like shit, shit you know so uh, uh so i think it's interesting uh, you know just to to add to that that it's not like happiness that you're searching you might think you're looking for happiness but really when you don't learn to feel good about yourself you're not going to attract the the right kind of people into your life and uh, even the relationships within your own life whether it's your parents or your siblings you're not going to be able to give the best of you you know
1: so this, I just want to mention this. There's this guy I follow called Dandapani. I don't okay. know if you heard of him. No. He's, uh, you know, I learned about affirmations through him. I've You know, I've written about him a little bit in my book. Uh, he uh, said in one of his, you know, something I was following, and he said, you know, people come to me and uh, this is Dandapani. I just got out of this horrible relationship, right. and then I <laughs> found, you know, the guy of my dreams, or the girl of my dreams, or the person of my dreams, and. They ended up being exactly like my, my ex. And, and he said, what you're doing wrong is that you still have that energy of that previous person you were with, with you. And, right. and you are, that's why like attracting the same person again and again and again. The same right. kind of person is going to come into your life. So you have to change your energy. And you have to affirm to get the, the right person for yourself. And that's through affirmation, through various things. So he said, there's a reason, okay? So... For a while, I also, you know, uh, I dated someone. I was unhappy. Then, you know, the, I was just attracting people that were not good for me, and I was not good for them either. Right. I, you Absolutely. Know, I'm, you it's too like I'm, I'm, I'm a superstar. I made yeah. perhaps a lot of people unhappy. Right. And and uh, uh, and that's because of me too. It was just not just them. It was just
0: Absolutely.
1: two bad energies together, or two people who didn't suit each other together. Right. We were saying I was asking you whether uh, how, when did you realize the self-destructive behavior is is or did you realize at all? Um,
0: you know I think sometimes self-destructive behavior is also very subtle. Um, I don't think necessarily I'm going around like you know hurting people physically, but I'm actually hurting myself. And it's really only when I went to therapy post my divorce um, that I really started learning things about myself and. I got married not not very young, I was 28 when I got married, but if I'm being totally honest with you, my emotional intelligence was of maybe a 15 year old and uh, you know, I was married for less than three years, that's, mm-hmm. that's a short time.
1: That's when you moved to Bombay?
0: I, I was living in Bombay, I, I married a man in Bombay and you know, my divorce was not a dramatic, shocking, you know, there was nothing shocking that actually happened that led to our divorce. Um, I married a very nice human being. I want to give myself that much credit that I can choose a good human being. Um, Having said that, uh, you know, I think we both came into the marriage with our own pain and our own suffering and our own baggage. And I mean, I only have authority to speak for myself. And I literally was like a child. I was functioning like a child. And I just, I think i was looking at another person to make me happy and that's just never a recipe for success right that's a recipe for disaster um so i just don't think i went into it with the right sort of frame of mind Um,
1: And, and this was a like an arranged marriage
0: it wasn't an arranged marriage but it was a quick marriage i was you know uh young and i think my priorities were different i really didn't understand what i had to look at you know look look at for a partner um uh i think different things used to excite me a lot of glamour and excitement and a lot of fun you know and i think today having done almost two years of therapy post my divorce i think My divorce was the big turning point in my life. I'm really, really grateful for it, Yamiya, because I really, I hit rock bottom. Um, And I had two options, you know, I could actually take care of myself, that was through therapy and healing, or I could continue that stagnant, complacent, unhappy life. And um, I'm just so thankful that somehow I got myself together and I started going to therapy once a week. I I found an amazing therapist. And that's another really, really important thing. I think just doing therapy is not good enough. You need to find a therapist that you can connect with. Um, and I think I just I learned so much about myself. And the first I'd say two, three months were the hardest Mm -hmm. um hardest months in therapy because I literally walked in and my first session, I think I freaked my therapist out because i sat there and she's like you know started talking to me and i'm like i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine and i had no emotions to display and um and i think what she really really taught me and brought out in me was that i literally was either happy or i was Mm -hmm. angry and there was nothing in between Mm. and i like a child i was taught to feel my feelings you know um i then spent A lot of time in therapy, feeling angry, sad, frustrated, so much guilt and shame, you know, because when you go through a divorce, it's not just you and the man. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of it is you guys, you know, dreams are crashing, like you're-
1: Families in India are so- Families
0: are, and, and, you know, family, and my family was super supportive, but of course I could see the pain in them as well, right? It's everyone's pain to share. Um and I really had to mourn that loss it was it was it, it was a big loss even though you want a divorce uh, it's still very devastating it's never so, easy
1: I just want to step back a second because you've dropped two bombs in the <laughs> Indian context the two biggest bombs anyone can right. drop one is divorce and yes. then is therapy so Absolutely. that's just I would I want to talk definitely want to talk uh, more about you know therapy with you but before that is in the in the when when you are married and 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 you know no one just you don't just nobody wakes up one day says I want a divorce or or, or or you know a relationship uh, you know people believe that you know one day is on and the other day is off it, it's a process you know it, right. it, it's like a personality like anything else <clears> that things start to break down in a relationship between two people right. so I assume that this this took a while. Even if it was a few months where you realize and then you just stuck it out because yeah. that's what, uh, you know, um, people do. They try and work it out. They, they try and be together. They try and talk to each other. They try and see that, no, this this can't be happening to me. There's a sense right. of denial as well. So did, did you go through that process oh, pre-your divorce?
0: Absolutely. And you know, Yamir, nobody wants to get divorced. Um, you don't really oh, go gosh. into marriage going, hey, in a couple mm-hmm. of years, you know, I'm gonna be out of here. Sure.
1: Um, I know a few people who do that, but yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe, I didn't do that. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I um, know you didn't do that,
1: of course. It was yeah.
0: very, very devastating, you know. Uh, and and I think for both of us, I, I you know, it takes two. Like I, I, and that's the other thing I really learned in therapy was to take responsibility. I think for a very long time I was blaming. Sure. sure. I was like. If he changes this or if he does XYZ, um, I wasn't really able to look in the mirror and to look at myself and say, I actively made a decision to marry this person. Awesome. It was my conscious and well, at that time subconscious, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think I was connected to myself or aware of myself, you know, my inner being. Sure. Um, so really I had to take responsibility, but coming back to the process of it, it took a while, it took a long time. And I think uh, we both tried. I think um, it was painful for both people, but I think we both kind of came to a very uh, common ground and, and wanted a very amicable divorce with, you know, my parents and I, and I know his him and his family as well were very clear we wanted to walk away with integrity you know that was the most important part of this I didn't want any drama um, because there was a part of me that said you know I chose this person so to flip it around and now sort of give have public anger was just not my way of dealing with things although of course there was a lot of anger and hatred and you know sure. and, shame and, and, guilt and
1: people, all of that uh have a field day when two people are i think when people unfortunately have a field day when there's trouble in anybody else's life
0: right because and, they want
1: to talk about it it's their it's their own insecurity and yeah. it's it's listen it's the what the latest gossip is of
0: course oh, and,
1: no, and God, she it, it's God. a little She's distraction this is what happened that's what happened
0: right
1: and he used to beat her up she used to beat him up. yeah nonsense starts coming out and yeah I'm so, um, you know, I'm glad that you've been able to articulate um, in, in, you know, your div- things about your divorce or your right. relationship in, in such a, a positive manner. Because usually it's considered to be something extremely negative. But I, I think perhaps, as you said, this is, or we were speaking about it last week, yeah. that this was one of the best things that happened to you.
0: Absolutely. Because it
1: helped you turn your life around.
0: And And that's the thing again, you know, Sometimes did you, it's,
1: uh, sorry, did you try couples therapy at all?
0: We did. We did. Uh, but, you know, we were just too far gone. It, it, I, I think even my therapist mentioned that this was inevitable and I'm glad you made this decision, right. you know. And, you know, coming back to it, it divorce doesn't always have to be dramatic. It sure. doesn't have to be he or she beat, you know, he I mean, or I'm she. Just, I just no, of there, course. you know. The, but do you the, know what I mean? The... I think when people... When people asked me, I think some people were just shocked that there wasn't any drama or any shocking revelation. I that was like, thanks
1: to both of you because you right. didn't allow people to, you know, get into that space because right. you right. you actually did what you're saying. It was an amicable it you know, was, and you are uh, still friends. We're friends and with
0: very solid and healthy boundaries. We're not like besties. You know? Of course,
1: it makes sense. Right.
0: Yeah. Um. But having said that, I think it also took a while to get there. There was there was uh, right after my divorce, while I was doing therapy, there was a while that I felt felt a lot of anger, and I felt a lot of you know uh, hatred, and I needed to feel those things. I needed to get over that, and and that is the part, you know, Yami, when you go through healing, when you acknowledge your pain what you sort of brought into the marriage as well, the negative things that you were carrying with yourself as well, Mm -hmm. is when you're actually breaking patterns, you know? Um, That's when you actually learn to say, no, this was not right for me. I actively chose it, but it it wasn't right for me. Mm -hmm. And I would like that the next time I'm in a relationship... That I choose better or sure. I, I am better myself, you know, that's
1: also because you, you know, there's a learning curve that's, that's happened yeah, and and, uh, and in a relationship you've been through the greatest learning curve, which is a marriage.
0: Absolutely.
1: I keep discussing this, you know, with my wife and I keep, I keep joking about it as well. And especially in India, I, I don't know what the issue is, but you know, the ultimate achievement that two people can, you know, achieve is get married. And, oh. and that is ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't know why because in, in, you know you have uh, people who are highly educated and highly educated families and their families kind of try and push this idea that all their problems in life especially for the girls and I feel Absolutely. so bad for the, for the pressure that girls have to get married at a certain age right. is all the problems in your life uh, will get sorted or get totally get fixed whatever right. the problems may be and while that might be the case for some people what if you married the wrong person? You've ruined the rest of your life. Right. Unless they have the strength or the, you know, just that, that headspace that you're talking about Absolutely. to be able to take it to the logical conclusion. Try or not then have the divorce and get out of the divorce. I think the toughest thing is getting out of the divorce right. in a way that you managed to do in which mm-hmm. you're not best buddies with your you know ex-husband, but it was a cordial divorce. There was no mudslinging. And there was, it was not as traumatic as what we know as a typical divorce to be. So,
0: you know, I think the trauma for us was personal. Mm. Um, And I think uh, it's, again, if you're mudslinging, you're really uh, in so much pain yourself that you want to inflict that kind of pain on someone else. And there was just no way that, you know, my parents and I were very clear on that. But you know coming back to the topic of marriage it is there's so much pressure at least in our time yamir 10 years ago um
1: no i think even now you think so yeah i think think girls girls
0: in their 20s are being pressured i don't
1: think girls in their 20s but i think let's say girls closer to about 25 26 i I think a lot i think it's rare to come across a a family that is not pressurizing their daughter to right. get married at a certain, and that's just my experience. I right. may be wrong, right. but the, from the people I know, I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure, and mm. every additional person around you that is getting married is putting that more and more pressure Absolutely. on your parents that's or on true. yourself. Yeah. And uh, these women are going crazy. Not it's not their fault. Mm. Uh, it's obviously it's because of you know we live in a in a system in our country where the family and the parents and all matter a lot and and they absolutely should I'm still dependent on my uh, parents at 34 Um, but you know traumatizing them you know I don't think they're realizing the amount of trauma that they are creating or or the anxiety and stress and they're literally pushing their kids into this depressive state Uh, and I think what that is also doing is putting you know, people in in a, creating an energy that is anyone not going to attract the right kind of person in your life, I in mean, married love married doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, you know what, what I what I also feel what we don't do enough in India is have tough conversations within our families. Um, you know, I have to say that I have been lucky enough that I grew up in a family, especially with my mom, mm-hmm. that I was able to talk about anything and everything. You know, my dad was still a little more conservative, but. Having said that, there was still so much pressure on marriage and, and I think it just flows through every aspect of your society. It's not always just your parents, you know, oh, sure. it's like, oh, your cousin gets married or your saying, best yeah. friend gets married and there's just so much pressure pressure on marriage and planning the wedding. My gosh, oh, like oh, yeah. none of us talk about what it's like after um, and you're you're married, you've yeah. been married a while now you realize it is so much work. It's not romantic. It's not roses, you know, coming down from the sky. It's dirty work. It's a lot of hard work. And if you do not have, like you said, that inner strength, and I definitely didn't have that. I don't think any of us
1: did when we got married. Yeah,
0: and and some of us are lucky, you know, that we sort of made it work. But I also find that I am lucky that I got out of it you know, very respectfully and I actually managed to get my life together. I mean, Yami, I cannot explain to you how the past three, actually well, four years, um, three, four years have just been the most incredible years of my life because I went through so much therapy. Uh, I learned so much about myself and it was it's just been life-changing. I've gone from a person that used to wake up used to have a hard time waking up you know waking up in the morning and just feeling like a piece of shit you know to now waking up early in the morning i get up i am happy you know uh, i mean happiness is a fleeting sort of you know feeling you're happy you're, it's normal to have your ups and downs but to sort of have that now joy de vivre you know which i i never had i never thought was possible for me And uh, really, I I really just credit it to therapy. I credit it to the support that my parents gave me during my divorce. I think that was just imperative because if my parents were not rallying, and it wasn't just my parents, you know, it was my family that sort of formed this fortress around me. And I know it's so hard for some women in this country. I was
1: going to say you had two things. Well, let's let's just talk about uh, family support for one because i know that uh, you know when a divorce is taking place a lot of times uh, you know the, the, the woman is isolated uh, by absolutely. and by her own yeah. family absolutely by her and own family you because know, there's stigma and oh my god and you'll be you be know, surprised our, you know our family's reputation exactly. this is nonsense yeah. Yeah. today 2019 20 hours yeah. yeah. this is rubbish
0: you know luckily for me i never came like, my parents are never the type of people to care about what somebody else thinks and of course like you know we talked about earlier there was a lot of pain that they also went through you know um, during my divorce but there was just so much support that I actually right after my separation I was still in Bombay Mm -hmm. I decided that I wanted to stay on in Bombay and I think part of that was also because I didn't want to come back and face
1: the world you know Um,
0: there was just so much shame and guilt in those initial first few months um that I needed to process and and I have a I had a small group of friends in Bombay that were just rallying around me. And then then I sort of reached a point, I think six, seven months after I was living alone, that I needed my family. I wanted to be with my family. And, you know, my parents were like, whatever you need to do to be okay, we're there for you. Uh-huh. And if I did not have that kind of support, I mean, I don't think we would be sitting here Sure, today, yeah, I can
1: I can Because totally I guess, like you said, sure we're
0: so that. dependent on our parents. I am 35 and big part of me is financially dependent on my sure. parents. Emotionally, financially, you know, I live with my parents. Um, so we don't really come from those communities where at 18 we are super independent. Sure. So, so really, that support, uh, emotional support, was just so, so important for me.
1: I think you're extremely lucky to have a family Absolutely. like that, and Absolutely. that's something that uh, you know. I think you and you already are. You're going to remember and be grateful for for the rest of your life. Yes. And how did you from? So, of course, you had the family support, and 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 I know you're a big uh, you know proponent of therapy. And how did you take the first step? Because I know that. That's what one of the hardest things to do is. And even when you did take the first step, you're saying yeah. you were really in, you know, for the first few weeks, you were like, you know, I'm fine, I'm fine. And that, and the moment you go to therapy and say, yeah. I'm fine, you are not you're fine. not. You're because nobody is that
0: fine. Absolutely.
1: No one is, is. everyone could use therapy. Absolutely. And how did you take the first step?
0: So, you know, uh, my mom has always been pro-therapy. Uh, she's very interested in psychology. Your it's mom like, is oh, be, an alien. My mom right? is a superstar. <laughs> um So, you know, even in my 20s, she was like, if you need therapy, get therapy. But I hadn't found a good therapist. And uh, just before my marriage, actually, I found this particular therapist that I was seeing after. And I think uh, she wanted to do some work with me initially. And I was not ready at that point. So when I did go through my divorce and I moved back, um, I... So you went therapy in Delhi then? It, not, in Delhi. No, not my in therapist Bombay, is in Delhi. But she,
1: not in you didn't start it while you were living alone no, in Bombay. You no, came to I Delhi didn't. and then you Yeah. It's so when you, I
0: moved, I remembered, I said, Ah, I remember that therapist. I need to go see her again. And uh, again my parents were very, you know, supportive and um like I mentioned the first few months were like just it was like Greek to me. Mm. You know, there were just so many things we talked about that I just didn't mm. understand about myself and and I soon realized that I I was, like, completely lost, you know. Um, I had no... My range of emotions was so limited mm-hmm. that, I mean, my marriage was going to end in divorce. There was just no other sort of alternative world in that sort of, you know, space. And I, I again, I was seeing her once a week. And now I've sort of come to a point where I don't see her as often but I like to check in once in a few months Mm -hmm. and like you said you know I really feel every single person should have a therapist you don't need to be crazy you don't need to be depressed to have a therapist you you sort of are going to somebody who is a professional who understands the human mind better than you do and just helps you you know whether it's with work whether it's your personal relationships and you know one of the, the biggest things that happened for me, Amir, was, I mean, I came back after my divorce. I was 31, 32. I started living with my family again. And, you know, it's not easy to live Sorry. with adults, you know. Readjusting. Readjusting. Re-adjusting. And, and um, I think in my 20s and in my mid-teens, like I was a bit of a monster, you know, <laughs> <laughs> an emotional monster. And I think, you know, a lot of girls have sort of issues with their moms and I went through that phase as well and I think one of the greatest things that's happened for me is that I have learned to behave like an adult Mm. with my parents and I think they now respect me as an adult Um, to manage you know relationships with four adults living under one roof it's a lot but but it's, it's it's amazing how far we've all come and we live in harmony. We like to spend time with each other, you know. Uh, of course, a couple of times, couple of days in a month, I'm a bit of a dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I that's think so everyone... Woman everyone's, is, allowed those, yeah.
1: so everyone's allowed to. You know, so
0: I'll come to the living room and I'll announce that guys, you know, next few days, bit of a monster, but um, it's just, I think I am just so much more connected with myself and I feel a level of, contentment that I just never have before and again coming to marriage and relationships you know I'm single I'm 35 I do not believe that if I do not find a partner that my life will end you know um, I'm actually learning at 35 to build my own life you know I started a women's wear brand um, I actually started Renge while I was sort of going through my separation actually just before our separation and mm-hmm. my ex-husband was very supportive of my work and all of that and um you know I've, I've mentioned this to you before Renge sort of saved me mm-hmm.
1: um so can you talk about that a bit and does Renge come from namyo Renge you know
0: so I got into Buddhism for a while and that was another part of my life where I found this sort of group of people in Bombay that were just so supportive and um, there's really a science to it, you know, it's meditation, it's repeating, sort of chanting. and so
1: affirmations. Be- exactly. At the, at the core, of exactly. affirmations. I don't
0: yeah. practice it today, to be very honest with you, but I definitely believe in it and I support people who do. Um, so I really, when I started Renge, I started to feel confident. I felt like I could do something, you know, because up until then, like, I had no ambition. I had no direction in my life. I was just completely lost and
1: pre-therapy you started drinking pre-therapy okay.
0: pre-therapy while i was in bombay and i i was happy to start it in bombay because you know it's such a great short, short. place to start a fashion brand and when i moved to delhi i started manufacturing on my own so i have a small team and my sort of work allows me to have an identity mm. you know and before that i just i remember you know in bombay like i used to go to parties and I used to be like, what would I, if people asked me what I do, I wouldn't know what to say, you mm, know. Um, okay. Because I just had nothing going on for myself. I had no ambition, no hobbies, I, apart from working out, you know, apart from exercise, which has been a part of my life ever since I can remember. Um, so Renge was also very a uh, big turning point in my life. And uh, just with therapy and with sort of working, it just, allowed me to find my own sort of personality which existed all these years Mm. but I think it just was buried under a lot of self-doubt and you know not feeling pretty enough not smart enough and a lot of these things are self-inflicted you know what I mean Uh, and we realize at the end of the day you know today like if I sort of have an issue with somebody somebody, I can still feel more compassion because I understand You are coming from your own pain and and your own circumstances, you know. I think when I was younger, I was a lot more reactive. I was uh, less compassionate and understanding.
1: So do you think therapy allowed you to expand your kind of emotional footprint? I don't know if that's the right terminology. Absolutely. And um, have a greater sense of self, which is what allowed you to have a greater sense of others. Oh,
0: absolutely. I think... Therapy taught me also that it's important to feel your feelings, but you don't have to react to your feelings, you know. Uh, just because you feel angry about a situation, it's okay. It's your right to feel what you need to feel. I think it's also developed my personality uh, in a big way. And the other thing, you know, through therapy, Amir, I, we've talked about this a lot. I actually quit drinking and smoking two years ago. Okay. Two years ago, I have no hangovers. Two years of no hangovers, you know. Wow, lucky um, you. And I mean, I am I'm officially a teetotaler. And I just, uh, there was a time in my life where, you know, going out to a party and feeling confident meant, oh, let me have a glass of mm. wine or something, you know. and um,
1: Glass or 10? Or yeah, glass, yeah or glass,
0: exactly. Glass to five, you know. And uh, through therapy, I realized that alcohol... Um, just wasn't working for my personality i didn't enjoy being hungover like mm-hmm. even you know we used to all binge drink and, and sure. it's so it's normalized which it shouldn't be you absolutely know not. alcohol yeah. is such a big depressant and
1: uh, absolutely and especially people who are perhaps like you and me predisposed it. to absolutely. depression or predisposed absolutely. to being anxious and of course the the i i'm not a teetotaler but i hardly drink so i'm almost a teetotaler and the the dreaded i get a one week hangover so forget about a two day hangover i am out of commission for days and that's because and that's when i really cut out alcohol out of my system because it really started taking a toll my body was punishing me the next few days literally i was being punished from the inside out and we, everybody knows alcohol is a, it's not a stimulant it's a depressant absolutely it doesn't matter if you put red bull in it, it or put anything yeah. in it or you know any sort of stimulant drink it's not yeah. gonna help Yeah. Uh, and what uh, is increasingly i guess people are unaware of is that actually so many of us friends family people around i'm not even talking about drugs here. they are addicted to alcohol and if we really get into the definition of an alcoholic for a long time i used to think the definition of an alcoholic is someone used to wake up in the morning and start drinking that is not the case exactly anyone who needs even a drink every day can be defined as an alcoholic because there is a dependence on something you know you are it is and it's by design it's addictive in nature when it goes into your system it creates you know a chemical exactly. reaction in your body exactly. and mind which is why yes. you have to keep going back to it you know, so so many of us are alcoholics we're addicted to alcohol uh, and it is obviously creating more problems for people uh, predisposed to to sure. addictions and I, mean, I have an addictive personality right which doesn't mean i'm a superstar me too, me too. I i'm just trying to like You yeah. i'm not a superstar <laughs> yeah. Everybody gets addicted to me it's just I have a tendency to get addicted to things, to, right. to people, to to situations, and and I have to be mindful of that, yeah. and uh, just be careful. So that's why yeah. I, I I I love gambling hmm. too much. Really? So that's why I I have totally cut out gambling yeah. from my life. I I don't even dabble in the stock market. That's why yeah. because anything that gives me that
0: it the releases high.
1: a lot of dopamine in exactly. my system. Right. So I've I've gone away from it. So it's a, it's a tough call to cut out alcohol even for someone like like myself who loves drinking i still right, love drinking. Right. I, would, I would love to be drinking a a wine or a, a right. whiskey or whatever right now yeah but um, i'm not and uh, similar to oh, my my you know sugar is you know the biggest enemy in my, in my life. <laughs> yeah sugar is the enemy <laughs> Sa- same thing if once you cut it out you yeah. you don't crave it anymore
0: absolutely
1: so but if you if you you, you need to just cut it out or reduce it just
0: like you form bad habits Mm. you can actually form good habits too and with cutting out alcohol um, I realized that I had to learn to be in social settings that you know made me awkward once in a while but I really learned to connect with myself I've learned to entertain myself more and to just be comfortable in my own skin I think Anytime we need some a substance, and it could be anything, you know, some people have a shopping addiction. Anytime you need something to fill a void, there's something that's not right there. And you're right, I know so many functioning alcoholics that, you know, in, in ways have their lives together, but have that need to have a drink or smoke a joint or mm-hmm. that, that constant sort of need for um, something, something that gets you high, you know. Um and I think uh, that that was that you're numbing yourself you know at the end of the day you're numbing yourself and I learned that even sort of going out partying once in a couple of weeks or once in uh, once a week or once in two weeks and binge drinking uh-huh. I was numbing myself and then feeling feeling shitty for like the next five days and it just wasn't worth it um, and I don't personally enjoy alcohol so much that I just want to have a glass of wine mm-hmm. so I very consciously made a decision two years ago that I just didn't want alcohol in my life and I, I think it's one of the best decisions I've made for myself.
1: And but while you were even drinking you were continuing to try and keep yourself physically fit or is yes. that something that's carried on for a long time? So
0: you know uh, fitness has been a part of my life ever since I can remember. My mom is super duper fit mm-hmm. and I think there were two things that she really focused on when we were my brothers and I were growing up. One was she wanted us to learn an instrument. Mm-hmm. And one was she wanted us to play sports. And, you know, and I see this. Yamir, you know, I mean, kids who have been active mm-hmm. tend to be active, you know, in their 20s and 30s and sure. so on. Um, it's, it's really hard to pick up uh, a sport or go to the gym for mm-hmm. the first time in your 30s. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so while I was still drinking and partying, etc., etc., It definitely did hamper my sort of lifestyle. And to be honest, in the past two years, I feel like I've become so much fitter. And especially since I quit smoking, um, I feel like my skin is better. My hair is better. I feel younger. And um, just my endorphins and my high is released when I go and work out, you know. Um, And I'm not i have not necessarily now found a new addiction it's not it's, well it's not know. a bad
1: addiction to have it's one of the better addictions I've for
0: me it's it it's it's a as much as i like to f- look a certain way i like to feel a certain sure. way and uh, my mornings start with exercise so you know i and wake up early i go and do a workout whether it's pilates or yoga and i think a, a lot of uh, self-care also involves eating well right uh, so I think all of that's improved, you know, since I quit alcohol, I'm eating better. It's, it, I, I don't know how it's related, but no, like... Because
1: alcohol makes you crave shitty, shitty food. Why? exactly. You because need alcohol eat is sugar, yeah. and it makes you crave shitty food. And, and I didn't know this for, for years, actually, that... What what a hangover actually is is your body craving alcohol. Right. That's why hair of the dog, which is the remedy, that you start right. drinking again. Right. That's why it works because so your body the, the symptoms that your body is showing yeah. uh, from in during the hangover is actually your body is is um, uh, you know what's what's the word it's uh, it's craving Cra- the alcohol. Yeah. There is a um, you know um, it needs that alcohol
0: right. to right.
1: feel good again yeah uh, and i see a
0: lot of people mean that that lie to themselves that oh i just drink once in a while mm. but
1: yeah but in once but, in a while they drink a bottle exactly so exactly so
0: it isn't you're, you're dependent yeah. and i think we've sort of normalized drinking mm. so much um
1: yeah because now it's. i mean oh you know uh, as long now i keep hearing oh, it's, you know this this i'm dating this guy i'm dating this girl i'm dating this person and yeah, they drink and smoke a bit, but you know, at least they don't do drugs. Yeah, and, oh my god. At least they don't do coke, right. and that and that's right. like the new. Yeah, that's the new that's benchmark, the... and we're, we're just you know stretching that line yeah. further and further. And and and, and in five others one of you. Oh, at least they don't do. I don't know. at least are not dropping acid. They, yeah. He only he only yeah, does cocaine. Big. Oh my
0: goodness. You know, or
1: she only does cocaine. Yeah, yeah. So, and and that's becoming the new normal, and I'm I'm worried about like my own sun and right. what is going to be the benchmark like what is going to excite these people yeah. after a while yeah There's but no i limit. think that's
0: why like you sort of have to have other recreational activities you know um i used to play the piano in high school mm. and i hated it i mean I absolutely hated it because i didn't like my teacher and last year i sort of decided that okay i need to go back to it wow. and i have just been having the best time and this is where i feel like now i sort of fill my time you know it's with work it's with exercise Mm. it's with it's It's therapeutic
1: and playing an instrument is therapeutic yeah it's
0: challenging you know you're using different parts of your brain um so i think it's it's i I want to come
1: back to your like your your fitness regimen because your your skin looks great you are looking great so what so you're doing pilates and yoga yes um I don't think we need to, you know, really get into the details. I, yoga is yoga. Right. Pilates is for me assisted yoga. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and well, what what is it? You said since you quit drinking, you're eating better. Right. So or you're automatically eating better. Or is that a, a conscious? You know, are you very conscious about what you eat? So. Because we're gonna eat after this. So yeah, absolutely. We we're gonna menu.
0: eat a massive lunch. <laughs> So you know the thing is for me food is very it's an emotional experience. Uh, I think maybe it's a boarding school thing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, we have to yeah, like yeah, scramble yeah, for food. Yeah, I've um, seen
1: that with a lot of boarding school so people.
0: So I'm a very emotional eater. Um, when I'm at home I we sort of tend to eat healthy and when you're not home, a
1: vegetarian though. I'm not. Okay I'm not. that's fine. That's I'm cool. a,
0: a very big animal lover but okay. I'm not vegetarian okay. and um, Uh, you know when i'm at home we tend to eat healthy Uh, what is that
1: i want you to just define that because healthy means healthy eating can be anything you know and in india is healthy healthy. Healthy healthy. (laughs) so what do you eat at home i'm just interested to get into that because we've not done a i've not done a podcast with a nutritionist yet but but i think looking the way you are you are
0: fit (laughs) enough
1: to you know, Bid.
0: guide
1: us. <laughs> no, no, guide us on yeah. what, what is it that you eat. And, so, uh,
0: um, you know, I actually had to do a food allergy test last year because I, I was having some digestion issues and I realized I'm intolerant to gluten, dairy, and yeah, gluten and dairy mostly, okay. and eggs. Okay. So, I gluten have not eggs, okay. fully cut that out in my life, but what. And
1: I don't think you should, and I don't know why I'm no, saying it's egg, a bad idea. If you're allergic to something, don't fully cut it out because yeah. then you will be severely allergic
0: right, to it. Right, right. But now, earlier, like I used to eat two eggs and a toast in the morning. Now, my breakfast is normally a smoothie. So, it's fruits, a bunch of fruits and oats. Um, I do a smoothie in the morning. In, it's in, quick.
1: In a non, I mean in almond milk or something? No. there. No
0: nothing. So, nothing. Because you're putting an apple, there's a lot of water in that. So, so
1: you just dump that into I a, dump in a, one a,
0: apple, hmm. one banana, a bunch of blueberries and two spoons of oats. Okay. Um, Unsweetened oats and i have that for breakfast and um i'm again i'm hungry by one i have I normally like a dal just a green vegetable and brown rice um and then again i'm hungry by like five so i mm. eat a fruit again at five and some nuts and i like to eat early Yeah, that's also that's another I also key oh my gosh like I cannot deal with people who eat dinner at like 10 p.m.
1: That's why I don't like going out because, I know, you I, know, I eat dinner at 7 and then I'm obviously if I'm going out, you know, you can't yeah. go anywhere in Delhi before midnight Right. and then you're hungry again. And then
0: you're eating another meal. Yeah. For me, so, I get so stressed out when people say we need like to meet at dinner at 9. For me, that's like, how? How will I manage it, you know? So I like to eat by 8 o'clock. Um, it was up to me and eat at 7, mm. but I lived with, you know, three other yeah, adults. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So we eat by eight eight fifteen and
1: So this is all home cooked?
0: It's all homemade. Um,
1: food. And it's yes. cooked and, and, and I'm really getting your details now. Does it like <laughs> is it cooked in ghee or do you know like no, using like simple olive oil?
0: Or? olive oil, um that we olive oil. And let me mention, I mean I know in the mornings I'm not eating like proper carbs necessarily, but You're
1: only eating I, carbs. What are you saying? You're eating of fruits. Yeah. It's only carbs.
0: But there's a lot of sugar in that. Yes, yeah, well, right? Um
1: yeah, yeah, that's for another but I'm not podcast. Yeah, like toast yeah, yeah, I get it. And
0: uh yeah. you know what I mean? Heavier things. But at night also we eat carbs. So we and normally at night we don't do Indian,
1: Indian the Indian meals are carbs. And which is which is but, I, I'm not gonna get into such micro nothing
0: against that because no. carbs no. work for me. i realized uh, because I work They out are working lot. for
1: you, clearly. <laughs> uh, uh and and this was and, and, and are you eating out a lot? Doesn't seem like it. So,
0: during the week, I, you know, I tend to sleep really early. Um, so, my lifestyle, I'm, I'm at home. Monday to Friday, you'd find me mostly at home. Uh, because I sleep early, I wake up early. If I do eat out on a Friday and Saturday, honestly, I am not thinking about calories. I'm not really that kind of person. Um, and I do have good metabolism. I'm not going to lie, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I have good metabolism. I work out a lot. So, when I do go out, I do tend to be lenient with myself. I'm not so, like, you know, careful about what I'm eating. But I still naturally like to eat a fulfilling meal. You know, there'll be carbs, there'll be protein, uh, there'll be, protein, uh, but you're there'll be really, fiber.
1: But you're not really mapping it out. No, 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 reasons, i never that. I, I can't never do done that. that. I've not managed to do that. I've, so
0: no. I've never done that. I've never been on a diet. I don't, like, measure and count... Um, I've just lived a very active lifestyle. I think that is what is a big part of my fitness. It's not the food or the quantity of food I eat. It's the lifestyle that I live, at least for me, for my kind of body. And
1: and before I forget, uh, supplementation, are you you taking any supplements?
0: No, I do. I just take vitamins. I do a fish oil in the morning and a multivitamin and that is it. So
1: one fish oil and one...
0: Two fish oils in the morning and a multivitamin. That's for omega-3.
1: Yes and uh your like a, ge- a general multivitamin a general
0: multivitamin
1: because i really feel you it. get
0: a lot of your nutrients from food you know and i think once a year do a blood test you know mm-hmm. what's going on with your body um and that's yeah, so that's I, actually
1: that, that's a thought that had come to me earlier and I, then you know I, I lost track of it is just the way now you know post 30 everybody says get an executive checkup once right, in a year right. i think part of an executive checkup there should be a, like a mandatory mental? therapy <laughs> yeah a, a, like a therapy sure. session that yeah. is just you know examining your mental health and i know it may not be enough one session right. with a therapist for the even right. the therapist to be able to tell you anything right. but hopefully they, they they have you know uh, mechanisms now to be able to tell you that do you need more sessions after Absolutely. this because, especially, the people are going and saying, Oh, I'm my life is perfect, there's nothing wrong with me, it's fine. Right. I don't need this. Let's just right. sign the paper and my session is good. I just want to know I don't have, yeah. I, you know, I don't have diabetes, AIDS, cancer, whatever. The yeah. meantime, like, yeah. you know, yeah. but, but people don't think about their mental health, uh, so I think that needs to be, you know, for those getting an executive checkup done and you've never got therapy. Yeah. Please get one mandatory session. Tell them to throw it in as part of your yoga. Know, or pay five hundred bucks extra for right. it, whatever it is. Right. I think it will be useful. I'm gonna do the same. Yeah. I, and 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 I even need therapy.
0: Right. Um, I so. wish this was also part of just schooling. You know, where you had so, like yeah, I, I one I'd class discuss, yeah, a day yeah, yeah. that taught you how to really take care of your mental. So we, sort we of be, discussed you
1: know? in this, in this in this with Zina Zoya and okay. episode. and then after that. Uh, um uh parul parashal episode and right. that also we've discussed there should be you know mandatory Manage. counseling sessions that, that totally needs to happen and, and if you put it into the system from that age then you know first you've taken the stigma out of exactly. therapy and secondly those kids know that there is this resource for them to be able to use right. Right. even if after school even when they're 60 or 70, yeah. 100 years old that they can go to a therapist and you am having this issue they can mm-hmm. go versus have you know having to like you had to go post 30 there was even though your mom was open to it but you know that's the first time i'm going to therapy right? right, right. You know, and and, and uh, so
0: and you know the thing is yami therapy actually teaches you tools mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. contentment and feeling of fulfillment there's no magic wand for it it's it takes work it takes a lot of sort of hard work to really understand yourself to understand your darkness you know every human being has their sort of dark sides and, and to really learn to embrace um, your own darkness. I, I think that's the biggest sort of tool you can be taught because once you really start to say, okay, this is who I am and I accept myself um, is when you really are accepting of others, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that was one thing really lacking in a lot of my relationships in my 20s was that I didn't feel good about myself, so I cannot be compassionate as compassionate, you know, to you.
1: Wow, I love this chat. As as usual, so far it's a record. I can, you know, keep chatting Mm -hmm. to the person I have here. Uh, You know, we can we can keep chatting forever. But before I ask you for some recommendations for the people listening uh, for their health and fitness, a specific thing that they can do, I just want you to maybe you know, tell them where they can follow Renge or follow you. Maybe, yeah. you know, they want to continue this association with you because uh, I think it's not easy to do what you're doing or anyone who comes on the podcast is really opening themselves up right. and really sharing some very intimate details of their life. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody should do that. Yeah. But you have you have the courage to be able to... It's mm-hmm. easy. It's My job is easy. I'm, I'm yeah. just, you know, sitting mm-hmm. here, but it's your story and it's it's your struggles but that is what is going to make uh you know this podcast uh, successful if at all is people are going to get something out of it from your story yeah so where can they follow uh, Renge? maybe somebody wants to get some nice clothes from Renge. yeah i'm actually uh, wearing a jacket want, for why, me, aren't doing, yeah. why aren't you <laughs> doing why aren't you doing clothes i know yeah.
0: i have so many people saying that to me but uh, at some point hopefully at some point soon so let's get you yeah, started on that yeah.
1: soon uh, so at rengi Renge
0: G- underscore india we're rengi underscore india on that's instagram instagram and we have our own website www.rengi.co.in
1: can we order from you directly yes, i will online. order once you get uh, men's clothes uh, yeah <laughs> I, uh, i'm sure already, already is already shanamri
0: is like rengi woman hashtag <laughs> rengi woman um and yeah and uh, yeah
1: no, and, and the last thing is i always like to end you know end the, the podcast with uh one thing that I can do or anyone listening can do to change their life for the better. Right. Um now. What yeah. can I do now? One thing that you can recommend. So,
0: can I say a couple of things? That okay, I'm go doing? ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So you know what has really, really worked for me? There have been a couple of things. I journal a lot. This is something I started after therapy. Okay. And, you know, initially it felt like Can you just elaborate on that? Which. Because I know what
1: you're saying, but what do you mean by when you say journal so, a lot?
0: You, a couple of times a week, well, more than a couple, two to four times a week, um, I sit with my diary, I write down my thoughts, sometimes, they're just thoughts that are all over the place, sometimes voices in your head, voice, exactly, yeah. all yeah. the voices in my head, and I've learned now, to have the friendlier voice, speak to me, and, um, just, I tend to write down things, that are good, or bad, or whatever I'm feeling, and I don't really put too much thought into it, right. um, it's just sort of, conscious sort of a flow of words and um i do that and is it I,
1: unconscious as well sometimes sometimes yeah.
0: conscious and unconscious mm. and uh, i don't necessarily go back and read unconscious
1: that. i'm not even sure that's correct english but, but that's you know what I, we mean. I, I yeah yeah. Subconscious, that was, yeah
0: subconscious subconscious yeah. um we uh, i sort of don't necessarily mm-hmm. go back and read what i've written but it's more like Again, it's a form of therapy. therapy. It's a form of connecting with myself, understanding my own feelings. Um, so that's that's one thing that I still continue to do till today. And I have like a stack of books that, oh, you know, yes. I keep away. I Once my sort of diary is done, I put it away and I start a new one. The other thing that I learned um, to do, which really, really has helped me, is to sort of wake up in the morning and list sort of three things that I'm grateful grateful for in my mind. And, you know, Yami, I cannot explain to you uh, and stress enough how important it is to wake up and actually feel gratitude. gratitude. Because, again, it's habit forming, right? Sure. Whatever your sort of mental makeup is, is what you become for the rest of the day. And, of course, there are going to be some days where you wake up and you're a little crabby or whatever you're feeling, but it's still important to list three things you're grateful for and three things you like about yourself, you know. Yeah. And I think sometimes when you're initially listing things you like about yourself, they could initially be physical. Like I like my eyes or I like my nose or whatever. But to try and sort of make a mental note of the three things you like about yourself as a person. And I, that's really, really helped me um, have a better relationship on this, with myself. And, you know, we've talked about this before. You, you're actually able to change your the chemistry of your brain when you, when you sort of wake up with a grateful sort of mind and a mm. grateful heart. And, I mean, the truth is I wouldn't be this badass bitch if I didn't have all the trials and tribulations and the heartache and the pain in my life, you know. So everything has led to this and I'm just so grateful for all of it. I just want to say one more thing. The greatest speech. Go
1: ahead, go by ahead. Snoop Dogg. Right. I have
0: to. I have to. Repeat really? The greatest yeah. speech when he when he says, "I want to thank me. <laughs> I want to thank me for putting in all this hard work because you know, if you're not your own cheerle- cheerleader, nobody else is going to. Be
1: we don't give it ourselves enough, enough credit, exactly. and I think we beat ourselves up too much.
0: Exactly. Be be kind to yourselves. <laughs> I,
1: you know, I, I, this what, what you're seeing is is uh, I've, I'm a big self help. You know, reader, believer, right. and and, and uh, the limited reading that I've that I've done in the self-help space, a lot of people talk about gratitude journaling, or, and and that's what it is whether it's in your mind, whether it's you know uh, you know in a diary, yeah. uh, in any form, just being grateful. Uh, sometimes, which is being no, alive, absolutely. just absolutely. being alive, just waking absolutely. up alive, and, yeah. and uh, so thank you so much. Aww for coming on the podcast for staying away from the Renge office <laughs> uh, on a weekday mm. uh, and and just I think sharing your life and having the courage to come and speak about mm. really taboo subjects like divorce and, and, and therapy and destigmatizing them for, for people anyone who's, who's listening I'm grateful and uh, i'm sure we're gonna get requests to get you back let's say if if we have a season two of the podcast thank you so much and we will go and we want to eat some food now so uh, thank you for tuning into voices in my head we'll be back with uh, more interesting people like sheena and uh, have a good weekend guys